0: Hello and welcome to another episode of A Need to Read. This episode of the podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. Now, BetterHelp are an online therapy provider, and that is a service that is available worldwide. So, whether you are in America, whether you're in Australia, whether you're in Ireland, whether you're in England, you can have access to it because that is the glory of the internet, and that's just how things work nowadays. If therapy is something that you've been considering, or if you're struggling with things going back to normal, or if you just want to chat to someone about streamlining your life a little bit better and getting to know the inner workings of your brain with the help of a professional, then BetterHelp is the place for you. You run through a quick questionnaire and they will match you with a therapist within 48 hours, which, by the way, is a rapid turnaround. All you have to do is head to betterhelp.com forward slash to read and you'll get 10% off your first month and you'll be speaking to a therapist, which is the best thing of all. Now, this episode of the podcast is with Russell Kane, the actual comedian of the actual telly. He is a very, very funny man. He is a very well-read man. And I was actually quite taken aback by just how inspirational he was. So please do enjoy the podcast. And if you wanted to know how I get him on, he'll tell you right now
1: i'm bored fucking shitless so i just say yes to absolutely anyone that dms me more or less (laughs) Uh, that's
0: that's (laughs) That's one thing uh i I would actually quite like to speak about is comedy nowadays it's it's got to be a bit of a weird territory to sort of navigate right Mm. Do
1: you mean pandemic navigation or do you mean offending people navigation? I
0: just mean offending people kind of navigation.
1: Uh, I suppose it depends what type of comic you are. If, if your bag is to really, really push the boundaries. I mean, if we talk, if we were to draw, draw equivalent in novelists, it would probably be... is it? I don't even know how to pronounce it, but I try to read some of his books. Is it Michel Coulebec, the French novelist, who always writes really... Uh, I think he wrote one about Islam. He's wrote one about swingers. He's wrote one about... You know, he's always—he'll probably do some anti-transgender novel. He's always at the edge, pushing what the art form can be provocative about. The problem being, he's a white old man. Um, yeah. So, if you're a white old man and you want to say really offensive things about minority groups to get a laugh, life is definitely more difficult than it was. And if you're—and um, if you're a white old woman, actually, it's, it's got little to do with gender. Roseanne Barr will tell you all about that. Yeah. So, uh, I've never made those jokes, not because I'm a goody-goody halo uh, millennial eating my hummus out the fridge, marching for green issues. I do none of those things. Well, actually, I'm a member of the Green Party and I eat hummus. But I don't wear my politics on my, on my sleeve at all. I just don't find it funny to go. I'll tell you something about disabled people that's quite near the mark that will make people laugh. In, in, yeah. in a, I just, I, it's just not, it's not the type of jokes I write. Would I sit down and watch types of comedians like that and laugh guiltily? Absolutely, yes. So I'm not mm. like some sort of prude. I'm the first one to switch on a Jimmy Carr joke and laugh at the most extreme and brave jokes. Ricky Gervais, Frankie Boyle, some of Catherine mm. Ryan stuff, Sarah Milliken stuff can be filthy and near the knuckle. I'll laugh at all of that.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: but my stuff is very autobiographical. So unless I'm doing stuff in, my, in real life that's sort of, like got gender hatred in it or racism. You joined I can't, EDL. Out, I can't work out what it is that is difficult to be funny about. Everyone is it's a very common question, and I think, well, have I struggled this week once to be funny about anything that's come in front of me? And the answer is no. Mm. It's almost anything, but then I'm talking about I'm very observational. And I make fun of myself so I've just, I keep trying to get characters going and they're never successful and they never take off. It's like, people just want to see me do stand up as myself. So I tried to do a new one this week, this football Sorry. hooligan character that's trying to be a personal trainer. So the jokes there are all white working class masculinity, um, and, and people who are racist, uh, although I'd really keep that in the background of that character, yeah. so the joke there, I don't pull my punches. It's very extreme language lots of references to drugs lots of references to violence Uh, there's even a reference to Nigel Farage in there the stuff I did last night none of which was written all of which was improvised not even with bullet points so uh, you can't go more extreme than talking about manslaughter football violence racism but I stay I'm satirizing where I'm from which is what a lot of the lads were into when I was growing up
0: yeah, yeah, definitely. And what what you say where you're from, it's Essex, isn't it? That you grew up.
1: Well, I mean, I'll go right into this in my book, which I should probably plug right at the top, Son of a Silverback. And I think it's one of the things that shaped me. So one of my I've gone through lots of phases with my, my reading habits. Um, I've gone through sort of um, if we were to use like, um, oh, who's the uh, scientific philosopher? I think it's Thomas Kuhn, which you've got to pronounce really correctly, K-U-H-N. <laughs> and so he says that science evolves, you know, like we're in re- in revolutions as yep. well as long plateaus. So when you're speaking to people about philosophy and science, they're like, oh, things just evolve slowly and we slowly get from Einstein to New- uh, from Newton to Einstein, whereas what actually happens and it's the same with literature and it's the same with me. Uh, in my moods is it, things change really slowly and you go from one phase. then there's a revolution where you suddenly don't want to read dead Victorian novelists anymore they've gone forever and then you're in your slow early modern novel phase so that's what I'm like I'll be in a phase where I'm obsessed very broadly with people who died around about 1900 that might go on for five to ten years then there's whoosh, a revolution then all of a sudden this is who I'm into now um, yeah. I'm I'm, I'm, into, I'm into modern so I went through a sort of Uh, Henry James face who I now find completely fucking bores me shitless I can't believe I ever used to think Henry James was good but he's important because your question is where did you grow up right Mm -hmm. and Henry James is good His early stuff like Golden Bowl and all that stuff you're supposed to wank off about I can't I can't read (sighs) Henry James was good because he was an American and not an American. Yeah, He lived in London, but he stayed American in the same way that P.G. Woodhouse was English, but a lot of people don't know this, was not English at all. He lived in America most of his life, um, being funny and writing about butlers across the Atlantic. So if you always feel like an outsider, you're really, really good at dissecting and pulling apart the culture you observe, which you are on the surface part of. Mm-hmm. But in reality, outside of. So you're both, I can be welcomed open arms in a pub by the Garys, Lees, Waynes, and Daves. Oh, you're fucking, oh mate, he's the one that does that football character. <laughs> but at the same time, I can walk in the other door at Radio 4, Radio Four and make all my Ponzi shows and make a book, yeah. podcast about books with you. So I never belong. And there's a part, there's this blob right at the top of London called Enfield.
0: Yeah.
1: And the part of Enfield I live in, you can look at it on Google Maps, is called Brimsdown. And right at the end of Brimsdown Avenue itself is a park called Albany Park. And if you walk into that park, like some sort of biblical or spiritual intersection, there is Hertfordshire, Essex and London all meet within a few hundred meters of each other. Uh, So Enfield, even though it now calls itself the London Borough of Enfield, and is incidentally the stab capital of the whole of London, by the way. Oh, nice. um, It's nowhere. It's neither. Mm. I I could not tell you I grew up as a Londoner. It would be a complete lie. I couldn't go down the road and there was a theatre. I had no high street. There was no bookshop. There mm. was no um, cafes. There was no restaurant. It was just a brown, grey blob that was yeah. just there. If you got on the bus, maybe 25 minutes start to feel like London. It was Tottenham. There's people of colour. You could get a Jamaican jerk uh, patty. You could see a gospel church uh, if you w- walked. 15 minutes it's terry and diane with their lion their marble lions on their driveway and all oh, the Essex lovely. culture that i grew up with that my dad was and my mum was so i sort of culturally identified if you like as essex and all the things that come with it rolex watches cars you can't afford wanting to live in a detached house but i lived in a council house in this no man's land and it's a great mm. grounding for an whatever type of artist you want to be novelist which i still aspire to be yeah. a comedian or whatever so, where did I grow up? And the answer is nowhere. Yeah. I say Essex. And indeed, we moved there. I moved to Southend in the end, and I've, and I've moved to Woodford. I've only just moved from Woodford, which is in Essex. But again, is it? I now identify yeah. as London. It's interesting because Essex is one of the few places in the South that has a strong cultural identity. There aren't many others.
0: Can you know yeah. what is
1: what is London? It's nothing. Well, it's I, not... I
0: live in Bournemouth, and there's nothing really too Bournemouth about Bournemouth. I've you can't
1: got... go on stage and make what county is Bournemouth again? Dorset. You can't go on stage and do Dorset jokes. They just won't fly.
0: Yeah. You you'd can maybe get a be... farmer,
1: but it's... you'd have to go
0: Cornish. You'd have to say Southwest. Yeah.
1: Which isn't technically.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So you grew up as an outsider and that that's helped you in comedy as I suppose to be an observer, to be someone that can see things from the outside and to yeah. be able to make that then funny. I'm, I'm ultra ultra council house working class with a
1: first in English who's earning, in, in my mind, incredible amounts of money. I know there are people who earn a lot more money than me, but you've got to bear in mind where I come from. Mm. To me, I, I feel so comfortable. I can't believe it's true. But culturally, yeah. it's, it annoys me when people... So there's a, there's a standard comeback. Is, why are you talking about being working class, the money you're on? It's easy to you know to stalk mm. me and look at my limited company or whatever. And you're not working class anymore. You wouldn't dare say that to someone who was born in Ghana and came here when they were four and has grown up with a london accent living in a london flat doing london things with ghanaian parents you wouldn't dare take away their ghanaian heritage and everything they feel about coming from a ghanaian extraction and all the prejudices and hills they had to climb as youngsters and probably still mm. and uh, so you can't really take away from me the uh, horrible vowels i've got the accent i've got the start in life the school i went to the dog shit bin i smoked weed next to till i was seven you can't those things don't just disappear yeah so i don't think working class is income anymore it's long gone it's it's a cultural thing my daughter will yeah. grow up middle class because i've she's grown up in a middle class
0: environment yeah yeah that's that's amazing and like when you were at school being in like a working class area i'm i know you're you're book is about essentially growing up with like an alpha male in the household and and you, you're not the big large like alpha male Russell Kane it's like oh yeah. it's like funny Russell Kane were you forced to be funny in school because you didn't have that like alpha male streak in you it would be it'd be easy I think to mythologize and pretend that and I had this memory
1: yeah. where I I really <laughs> need to be a clown I've got no memory of that yeah. um, that's just how I was now was I born that way was I born a little bit that way and sort of epigenetically, I'm using that word as a metaphor, that epiculturally could be say was that brought out? No, epigenetically is the right word. Was I genetically just a reasonably funny, lively, outgoing child? We know these things are inborn. You've only got to look at five-month-old babies. They've not been made introverted by their parents. I've seen it with my friend's babies. Some are quiet, clingy babies. Some are crawling forward, show-off babies before they're six, seven months old. There was probably that's just a roll of the genetic dice. I'm a show off, I'm, I'm a clown, mixed with having to survive. There's also quite a lot of data for people who are either younger siblings, which I'm not, I'm the elder, or oh. born very late in the academic year. Sorry about that. Right. Or born very late in the academic year. If you are born in August, particularly towards the end of August you're always going to be the smallest you're never going to be in the sports teams you're always going to be the youngest the most the the, you know the shortest so I was born August the 19th to ignore Wikipedia I don't know why it says October Um, (laughs) I was born in August so that maybe there's a bit of that as well Yeah, you're never going to get a girlfriend you're going to leave school a virgin the bullies are always going to be bigger than you there's
0: only one thing left have the best personality survive okay okay and when when was it like because I know comedy I, like I listen to quite a few American comedians on podcasts, and I know like the the road to get into comedy, to get your foot in the door, is quite a tough one. Like like you were saying at the start about your gigs, you having to do like forty five minutes break, an hour, and to write yeah. that amount of material must be tough. Like where where did you start out
1: in well, they're, comedy?
0: They're two completely different.
1: Um... Questions, If you don't mind me saying yeah, one, one about how you start out is a completely different question to once you've been going a while, how do you generate the material
0: mm-hmm.
1: and you'll get different answers from everyone you speak to starting out in the UK is very, very different to starting out in the US. Um starting out in the UK is much, much easier, in my opinion. And anyone who wants to start stand up has got zero excuses. Uh, in the US, it's much, much harder because massive, massive country. If I want to travel and hear a different accent in the UK, I could probably walk to a different accent from where I'm yeah. sat. I could probably walk to a different population of 60,000 people with its own high street within 45 minutes, li- literally walk. If I'm in London, I can walk 40 minutes in any direction to at least 10 open spot nights. If you don't live in New York, if you're not born in New York in the US, you're fucked. If you're born in the Midwest, you're fucked. How how are you gonna gig three, four nights a week? The easiest way for people that don't do stand-up to think about stand-up is to not think about it like some Ponzi ivory tower art thing. I wish it was. It's (laughs) closer to boxing, I would say. Yeah, uh, but bo- think of it more like boxing, weightlifting, a martial art, something like that. The reason I put it in with those is you don't stay sharp. If you stop doing it, you can okay. build fat, you become crap quickly. There's no bullshit way of doing a course online. You can't sit back and watch um, like Chris rock videos, even though you're a teenager in Leeds, don't watch Chris rock videos, watch British comedians. Otherwise, you're going to get annoying stylistic licks that you that will not translate. Yeah. So it's the boring, boring answer to any aspiring comic that they never want to hear. I, I can honestly, this week I've had three conversations, which I never, I never get a reply to my reply, never, because it's really? the reply people do not want to hear. They do not want to hear gig three to four times a week, unpaid for four years. Make sure you lose your girlfriend. Make sure you don't see your friends. Make sure you earn no money. If you have a girlfriend, a social life or money, you're not doing it right come back to me in three years. Let me know how you're doing. I never hear from any of those fuckers. Do you know why? Because someone that sends a DM on Instagram, going, how do I get into comedy is never going to make it. Yeah. Never. Only the nutter that's so hungry, they've gone on Google and booked themselves onto the first shit night in Halifax with no microphone, and no lights. They're the ones that will make it.
0: Okay, so it's, it's a case of reps and exactly which is liberating for an
1: aspiring comic because it's based on effort not born in the wrong place Mm. the only exceptions i would say if you're born in rural areas in england or scotland particularly and wales yes it's difficult but you're still within a drive it might be a two hour drive but you're Mm. still within a a drive as long as you can get out of work at 5 p.m get a job where you can get out of work at 5 PM. You can do an open spot at 8 PM. And I did that. I was getting out of my job at 6 PM. I was driving to Manchester to do a closing unpaid open spot, which means no one knows who I am. I'm probably dying my ass for five minutes. Then i would be getting in my bed at 2 AM to get up at 9 AM to go to work. Yeah. It's only three years of your life, but if you want to do this for a living, you've got to do it. There's no yeah. way around it. It's the same for a writer as well. Any aspiring writers listening to this, when I wrote, um, I wrote three novels that were unpublished, all three of them. I had to get up at 6 a.m. and write before I went to work
0: like Anthony Trollope did. And there's no other mm. way. Yeah, I spoke to, um, I don't know if you've ever heard of him, Stephen Pressfield. He no. writes mostly non-fiction, but he wrote um, The Legend of Bag of Ants, which was no way. Made, made into a film um, in America. And he said he essentially, at 27, was like, right, I'm going to write a novel that sells or I'm going to kill myself. And then he wrote the novel. Oh, fucking hell. Um, I, wouldn't, <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't take that far. <laughs> no, 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 don't get that far. Wrote the novel. It didn't sell, didn't kill himself. And he's like, right, well, I'm just going to keep writing. Wrote for 30 exactly. years until, no, it was 20 more years that he wrote until he first sold a book
1: yeah and that's no one wants to hear that answer everyone wants to hear i ask the universe and if you want it it will happen newsflash it might not fucking happen if you want it the worst possible philosophy you can take in life is if you want something enough it will come true it won't i could wish yeah. for a third arm all day long till i'm 80 years old praying <laughs> believing an arm's going to grow out of my shoulder it will not grow you might you might be the funniest fucker in your group of friends but you might not be designed to be funny to around a random group of strangers until you try. But people don't welcome failure enough. Yeah. We've got this big fear of failure. Failure is this amazing teaching tool. I always say the last thing the bully expects is to headbutt his fist. It will really throw a bully off the stride if he stands with his fist up and you nut his fist as hard as you can. He won't know what's going on. He'll be scared of you. So that's the way I tackle life, my sitcom that's not been made my shows that haven't been filmed, my specials that no one will ever see. Good, fucking bring it, because all it does is make me put a heavier weight on the bar for the next failure. And now and again, despite yourself, you succeed. Yeah, Uh, people are very scared of failure because it's all about pushing yourself forward and making sure we don't go into negative spaces for mental health. But the thing is, you, what you are done wrong there is, it's not because I'm telling people to put themselves in a vulnerable space where they're gonna get hurt. I'm telling you to reformulate failure itself as a mm-hmm. positive because the things you read and watch and the paintings you look at, the journey to there is people that didn't give a shit about failure, or if they did, they survived it somehow, like this bag
0: of ants, dude. Yeah, yeah, that's insane. So it's just a case of like welcoming the failure. Do you, do you read much nonfiction? Lots, yeah, yeah. I try,
1: to cycle. I try to cycle
0: fiction, non-fiction, like a yeah. sort of carb day, <laughs> protein day. Yeah, because um, I'm like mostly non-fiction. I've just started getting into fiction, just like a, as a bit of background. I only started reading two years ago. I thought it was the worst thing in the world before how old? How old are you, if you don't mind me asking? 26. So you're not far behind me. I didn't really mm. start
1: reading with a capital R till I was 21, 20. Yeah, yeah. So it's starters. like...
0: Yeah, I, and I think that's actually a better way to come about it. I think because so. Because when you're in school, they're like, hey, you've got to read this, you've got to read this. And it, it, there are the weirdos that really like it. And they're like, oh, I love doing what the teacher tells me to. Yeah. And there's some normal people out there who are like, you know what, fuck reading of Mice and Men, can't I just watch the film?
1: What type of school did you go to? Is it uh, comprehensive?
0: Uh, just a state school. Yeah, but I, like, what type of state in...
1: school? Was it comprehensive or do they have grammar school system around your way?
0: There is a grammar school system, but I wasn't in it.
1: You were in secondary modern?
0: Yeah, yeah. So you failed
1: the 11 plus?
0: didn't even take it. I just refused right. to go to an all boys school when I was right. younger, because I was like, I just don't fancy that.
1: It, does, it makes, the reason I'm asking is it makes a massive difference. It makes mm. a massive, massive difference because the comprehensive system means well. But um, I think particularly for boys, if we're talking about reading here, you when you get to a school, it's about survival and being popular. And survival and popularity, particularly when there's girls there, which looking back, I wish there hadn't been because it made my education more miserable.
0: Yeah, probably me um, too. <laughs>
1: uh, it was, you just want to survive. And survive means don't be good at maths and English. Otherwise, you're probably going to get knocked out.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I remember like when I was in year 11, ready to take my maths, GCSE, like I was always quite naturally bright, but obviously it wasn't cool to be that. It wasn't cool to try. So exactly. I was, I was chucked into, like my prep exams whatever they were, with an E and they're like, well, you're going to fail maths. And I was like, Oh, fucking hell. Like I want to be cool, but I don't want to be like yeah. the, the kind of cool that just doesn't give a shit at all. I, I think I literally
1: did an E during my A level. <laughs> I, I, I think I was actually, got high for one of my exams. <laughs> I mean, and how'd it go? I fucked everything. I lost <laughs> I, I, my first go at GCSEs. I scraped through based on, just natural ability with an a a b and three c's a in yeah. english obviously <clears throat> and then a levels two n's and a d so that was that was my education over finished yeah. um the a levels i did at the local college and we would do like acid in the car park and then go into our tutorials just to <laughs> laugh at the teacher's face which was like fucking tracing and shit. <laughs> and then at twenty one, twenty two, i had that sort of light switch on that you've had at 27 and that's when i well, i think i didn't start my education till i was 21 and then i then i couldn't stop then it was yeah. the a level a grades and it was the the first and
0: And you and you went to uni a bit later in life because so you said you got 22
1: first. not that not too late 22 which means obviously at 22 you still just look like the 18 year old so there was no differentiation i was i was a mature student on paper which was great for the economics and the and the grants and bursaries and things you could get and great for life experience for knowing how shite it was not to be at university which drove me forward yeah but it meant you know the group. If there was someone that was eighteen, the group, I didn't feel disconnected from them. It was we were just all the one social group. There were older students there that were 29, 30, 31, and they weren't able to join in as much. Yeah, so it's the best of both worlds. <clears throat> I would say go to uni at twen- 19 at the earliest, but twenty is probably a good age to go.
0: Yeah take a little bit of a year out like I've i got lots of friends who took gap years I never went to uni I went and stupidly joined the marines when I left school no way got kicked out and I was like right I'm gonna go and do something manly just denying my feminine energy to the max did (laughs) did you
1: stay in the marines how long did you stay in the marines for
0: about 18 months I just kept getting injured um so just injury after injury and then it got to a point I was like was that during
1: the training or during service
0: uh, during the training, yeah, nothing exciting at all. Just like little ankle injuries in Wales and in Devon. So it's <laughs> nothing, nothing exciting or to be telling anyone about. It's like one of those conversations I try You're to You were bigger in the
1: pub, was in the Marines, but I was injured, so I had to leave. What was it? It's an- ankle injury. Yeah, I,
0: I, <laughs> was, I got a stress fracture, actually, in my yeah. tibia. <laughs> the oh, yeah, I so a pot heavy. Hole. a pothole yeah. in Clendud, <laughs> <up>. no. <laughs> um, so you started comedy then, mid 20s or whilst you're later, late, late, late. Uh, So I, I, so I had this moment of like
1: the brain switching on, um, but based more or less out of jealousy and bitterness when I started dating a middle class girl, and I saw (laughs) what was available for people that happened to be born into a posh background that they got to sit around on the grass drinking wine and discussing books. And I just thought, fuck that I'm working in a shop, I hate my life. And that's what drove me to redo my A levels. Yeah. I was living with my nan at the time in a box room in a housing association flat. It was so small, this room, that rather than a wardrobe, I had sticky hooks on the walls and I hung my clothes on the wall as I was like haunted by these clothes. They were like, <laughs> like ghosts from the top man. And I just, I would did not dial back on the partying at all. So I was smoking every night was minimum. That was like having a cup of tea. Yeah. But then at the weekend, I was still partying hard. But before I smoked at night, I would do two hours of A-level work. Yeah. I was working in the watch shop all day selling watches. And then I was doing A-level work and then partying at the week. I don't know how I did it. It was just an inhuman effort. Yeah. And then I got to uni and then when I got there, I just wanted out of a sort of unhealthy, aggressive way, just be the best. It wasn't it wasn't like a love of literature in the beginning. It was a kind of I'll show you guys. Yeah. I'm catching up on the most the unbelievable basics. I didn't know who wrote Pride and Prejudice. I didn't wrote, mm. know who wrote The Importance of Being Earnest. I didn't know the difference between Shakespeare, Oscar Wilde, Jane Austen. They were names that sort of floated there from my. I hadn't read one of the A levels I it was not English, which is why I was still completely ignorant. Um, so I just caught up. I literally read from A to Z, A to Z, A to Z whilst doing the books on the syllabus to yeah. just like a steroid injection of language. It was like a the spider bite in X-Men or it, it was like that moment. I came out sort of limitless Bradley Cooper, like with my pupils dilated and I was like, right, what am I gonna do with this? Fell straight into my dream job working as a copywriter in an advertising agency. Yeah. I didn't I didn't like public speaking. I did it, it, it I like being funny in small groups of people I know. Which is the way I've always been. But when yeah. it was stand up in front of strangers, my bottle went. And so I thought uh, it never occurred to me to do entertainment anyway. I mean, I've, I did extra work when I was a teenager. I appeared in the bill once and the grain deal, but loads of people around my way did that because we lived near L Street.
0: Yeah. And I uh, suppose you just all wanted quick bit of cash if they were yeah you know, and it was just, just to TV. show off to
1: your friend yeah that was that the latter to be honest yeah and um so I, I was I had the dream job so that was the first time I heard about stand-up because it was a bunch of middle class trendy people who would do middle class trendy things after work in the agency or at the weekend I thought comedy was middle-aged white men Jim Davison Bernard Manning things like that I didn't realize there was this alternative thing to me Eddie Murphy and all that they were just actors in funny american films
0: yeah
1: of course i knew robin williams did stand up and some of the more switched on kids in my school had, had the vhs's but i didn't think of i thought of robin williams as more morgan mindy or patch adams or doubtfire. miss doubtfire yeah there were, I, it was yeah. just something that had never landed in my lap culturally because the, and people go oh bullshit, that's hard to believe you gotta imagine and how full my plate was with catching up I had to learn from Jane Austen to Zola, while studying English, whilst learning all middle class knowledge. There was no space to go with a beer to a comedy night. I was too busy by this point. Now I was a, had a job trying to keep a girlfriend going, trying to trying to buy my first flat. And there just was no space for a hobby. I had no hobbies. Yeah. But in the end, after. I think I've been at the agency two years. My friend said to me, "I've never known anyone. And know I'm not being particularly funny today because she got me on one, but I've <laughs> never known anyone where and everything you say is a funny story. All you do is make people laugh. Like you're so weird. Like we've done probably too many drugs and stuff. Like the, the my sideways thinking and shit like that. So I thought, do you know what? So many people have said it to me now. I've been best man at a wedding and made everyone laugh.
0: By this point, I'm just gonna fucking try it once. I was 28." Yeah. And again, that's, that's crazy. Cause you've like, you've come to it late. And like, I hear oh, and, that and with like, and with hope.
1: <laughs> and, with no, and with no interest, having never watched, literally never been to a comedy show. I've never sat in an audience and watched a comedy show. Yeah. By this point I'd seen bits and pieces on TV and there was no live at the Apollo on TV at this point that started in, I don't know what it was, 2004 or something. So yeah. alternative comedy had not come on TV. TV was still all the lame shit that I didn't find funny.
0: Yeah, no idea.
1: In Professor was N- literally no passion, no interest, no connection. But without it's, you know, like when son in the first Karate Kid movie. Have you seen the original Karate Kid movie? I Haven't seen the original. Now I've seen so, a
0: Jane smith's version. Right. So in the original, <laughs> in the
1: original one, Mister Miyagi teaches him. He wants to go and learn karate. And instead of teaching him karate, he makes him wax his cars oh, all day. Oh, yes, yeah. And then he makes him paint the fence all day. He's like this is fucking bollocks. <laughs> and then when he goes to punch him, he remembers from the car waxing. So for my whole life, from when I was five years old, to when I was 28, I've been using humor to, to control my environment and survive mixed with mm. my, whatever personality I've been given, mixed with all this literature had on it, mixed with fucking ecstasy, LSD, mushrooms, whatever I've taken in the past. And it came to this point where I was a fucking ninja and didn't know it. So when I hit the stage first time, high energy, I got off and I was like, who was, who the fuck was that? that doesn't happen age 28 with with no experience and then by age 30 i'd won an award while still trying to hold down my comedy job and then it all just kicked off
0: yeah that's amazing have you found it now obviously you're a lot larger now because there was i think it was steve martin the moment he decided to quit comedy is when he went on stage gave a pretty like shitty set and people were just laughing anyway and he was like ah they're just laughing like because it's me yeah have you, have you ever felt like that at any stage?
1: I would be interested to know how Steve Martin got to a place where he did a shitty set. <laughs> yeah, I did. Okay. I don't know what Steve Martin's background is or how poor he grew up, but it's just not in my DNA. To, mm. I, I, I'm not like, obviously, I have audiences that have disliked me. I've had awful fucking things where people tell yeah. me I'm shit and have been rejected. So I'm not talking about the reception of how, how I've been received. Don't panic. No here. I'm talking about my mindset when I go on. Okay. I never go on to lose a fight. Never. Yeah. I never. I I'll I'll get knocked out all the time, but believe me, I've I've gone on to win. So yeah. it would never cross my mind. Oh, I'll sit back there. I didn't really try and they laugh. I've never experienced that. They would, yeah. they would not laugh whilst I was trying my hardest. That I've experienced shit loads. Okay. Um, so I've never, I've never experienced that. And in fact, so what I do is, um, this Steve Martin factor, which obviously I'm a dot of, I've never made a film or gone to Hollywood or anything, but so we're in between, in between tours, which I, I'm a like one to 3000 seater man. So I'm like sort of. You could call me bottom of the top league or top of the next league down whatever you, numbers wise we're talking yeah uh, not critical acclaim I, I, this, i've been lucky with stuff like that so i'm a one to three thousand seat man which means i can go to the shops and gotta live a normal life and stuff but while i'm at the shops someone probably will say
0: oh yeah, you're
1: like nick Grim, looks like nick Grimshaw, or something like that <laughs> um so when i'm off tour and i'm on a break i will go to a club unlisted all the time you'll see your your um see tweets oh my god guess who popped up at our comedy club last night and the reason i do those is when you pop up unlisted the audience splits into three the first third is um oh my god it's him i'm gonna laugh no matter what what you call that steve martin factor yeah the middle lot is is this who's that is he good i can't remember i think i've seen him sort of neutral mm-hmm. and the third third are ah oh, fuck you know i can't stand this cunt they're the only people I'm playing to. Okay. Third, third. That's what I practice on. Are you trying to make him laugh?
0: Or are you trying to yeah. piss him off?
1: No, no. I'm trying to make them laugh. Yeah. <laughs> the third, third. That's the extra disc on the lifting bar. Yeah. So I don't really have that Steve Martin factor because I'm not playing stadiums. But then I bet you, Michael and Peter Kay still have that. It's not yeah. all we're going to laugh no matter what. Not in the UK. A large proportion
0: is, oh, I can't fucking stand it. They're the best people to practice on. I love that mindset because like, even like with this podcast, like I know who my target audience is and I'm like, Oh, I'm not going to bother with the others, but now it's, it's making me think like I need to be fucking good and get them into books, make them realize that you can be smarter and a better, like, have better chat yeah. by just reading books and you can know more for your mates to give them good advice.
1: Absolutely. And the other part of that thinking is you will probably fail 99.9% yeah. of the time, but in your efforts to fail in that way, what new content will you produce that's got a different shape or a different flavor? See, and that's yeah. it. I mean, if you like non fiction, I'm assuming you've read Black Box Thinking by Matthew Sayed. I
0: that's haven't read Black Box Thinking, but I've read a couple of his other ones. Read that, okay?
1: That's so that's that'd be a good one for your book club. Um, thing you got one, yeah. a book club this week. I noticed I think I've already read it. Which one is it?
0: Uh, The Motivation Myth. Oh, no, there's oh, another uh, one. There's another Sounded one. by Idiots yes is that the swedish
1: yeah. dude ericsson yeah fucking great book sorry that's not relevant to what we're talking about great no it's book, so. good it's, um, any book
0: is relevant we're all we're all for it
1: but so just to finish the point uh matthew saeed said that the starting point of black box thinking is why do why are there so few plane crashes sorry fucking updates. Right. why are there so few plane crashes compared to why do so many few people die on the operating table by mistake so there's roughly the same amount of serious operations in the UK as flights take off used to, let's say. Mm -hmm. But in those serious operations, if you've got more chance of a surgeon making a mistake and killing you, than you have the pilot making a mistake and killing you. Why? Both jobs are equally complex. Both jobs are way, way out of anything you and I will ever be able to do with our hands and minds. Why does the aviation industry have so few crashes? The answer is black box thinking. That's the starting point. So when a plane goes down, we get the black box out the ocean, whatever is in there, more or less, no one goes to prison. No one gets struck off. No one gets told off. All we do is learn from whatever is in that fucking black box to make sure it never happens again. As long as the pilot has not been taking drugs or drinking. I mean, if there is a mistake in there, that's a new mistake that has never been made. That goes into all flights on the whole planet all aviation industry, no, never again will switch one A be left down during takeoff. Even though that was a mistake on the pilot's, but never again. That's now on the pilot's book. He checks before he takes off. Yeah. Black box surgeon, if you've left a scalpel inside, if you've done this, if you've done that after a twenty-hour shift, you are going to be struck off. So there is no motivation to self-report the error to push your your mistakes forward to shape your future gains. Okay. And our industries podcasting creative industries are like surgeons we will do anything to avoid the dive into the ocean and, and saying, actually this was shit. And this is why it was shit, but we
0: need to. Okay. So it's just about, well, I mean, Embracing
1: failure, embracing mistakes. Like we're talking at the top running into the bully's fist, whatever you want to call it. I cannot recommend black box thinking enough real trippy read better than his sports books. All Matthew side's books are good, but black box thinking is by far the best. It will change the way you operate
0: yeah you, well, and
1: surround yourself with no people this is the other thing because we live in i'd work a lot in men's mental health and yeah. people are misinterpreted don't muddle up sharing and loving yourself and moving forward with becoming flabby and not creating great work i like to surround myself with naysayers with people who are ne- good negative people people that are going to tell me that was shit this wasn't funny otherwise you just become a blob you don't yeah. want to be a blo- happy blob you want to be a happy athlete.
0: Yeah, I okay. get you. Little head butt fists when they need yeah. to. <laughs> it's interesting you say that. So like my um my sister, if given the opportunity, would be a, a big critic if I give her the opportunity. When I read that book, surrounded by idiots that we were just talking about previously, I was like, right, she's a red personality type. That's yeah. that's how it is. And the wonderful thing about red personality types in that book is that ask them a question, you get an honest answer. Yeah. I've I remember a lot giving... of red in me. A lot. I'm a red <laughs> yellow.
1: I'm a I'm a, I'm a red. Oh, if I'm in a guessed. room, if I'm in a room, I'm making everyone laugh. But when it comes to business time, the red comes out.
0: Yeah, yeah. I gave her my CV once and I was like, right, well, do you mind having a look at this? I need to like I need to get a new job. And she like looked at it and she was sat and said, She went, why are you telling me about your hobbies? No one gives a fuck. And I was like, I've just spent ages. Like, I yeah. I I'd spent so long on it. Yeah. And I was like, fuck, I wasn't ready for the bad feedback, but I know that when the crunch time comes, I'll get the good feedback from her.
1: Yeah, and um, this is, part well, part of your problem there is who you're using for your feedback. Um, I mean, it can be quite triggering to use a blood family member, I would have mm. thought. Um, but also, when once you've read *Surrounded by Idiots* by I think his name Ericson or yeah or just, Thomas like, Thomas Ericson. I was going to say I've made up a sort of racist and stereotypical <laughs> Swedish name. Is a uh, really it was a life changing book for me *Surrounded mm. by Idiots* because you're able to almost like a serial killer manipulate anyone who comes in the room or manipulate your environment so you know how to process them. So if you are working with Someone who's a bit of a, a green and a bit more sensitive, you know, to be more careful. Like I now write, I now used, to, I used to email back, "Are you available?" "Yes, thanks. Here's the date, sort of thing." Quite brutal. But now, if I know someone's a green, I'll, I'll even if I can't be. I'll, How are you, mate? Nice chatting. It doesn't come naturally to me. Yeah. You know, don't give yeah. a shit. How yeah. much is the money? What are we doing? It's not that I'm uncaring; it's not that I'm busy and getting to the point, not realizing that busy and getting to the point might hurt someone's feelings. Yeah, yeah, they they want you to check in with them. So it's really good once you know these personality types: red, the bulldog; yellow, the clown who just wants to mess around and make everyone laugh in the room; green, yeah. the sort of sensitive uh, person, always weighing things; and then blue, the analysing, right. yeah, blues <laughs> analysing, nerd, making lists, Mister Logic type thing.
0: Yeah, it's great that it like was life-changing view because i i read that it was the first book i ever read in a day it's finished like six yeah, seven it's, hours it was
1: absolutely like, life-changing I can deal with everyone yeah life-changing can... everyone on holiday we all took turns reading it yeah uh, me lindsay my mother-in-law and my father-in-law and it's really changed like my father-in-law is the one that you don't meet many almost pure blues mm who can't have fun, yeah, but it says there on on form two that we, you know, we've hired the sat nav and this whole holiday will be spoiled because the hired sat nav is, you know, you'll be thinking about that or the process of everything the whole time. And now I understand that I can work with that. Yeah. I like my, my mother-in-law will be more of a green. So I'm careful how I express myself and just real deep thinking. And they'll go away and they'll be thinking about shit for ages and really turning stuff over. Whereas I could be devastated one minute, like dropped from a project. By the afternoon, I probably would have forgotten about it. And like, what, what, what can I win next time?
0: yeah yeah and that's the
1: fucking that's the red in me a red yellow is quite a common combination i think
0: yeah well it just means that you're you're red but you're one of the good ones
1: <laughs> it means i'm red but so i'm not quite red enough to be a billionaire because i'm too <laughs> I want people to like me and laugh at me too much in in those environments i'm not able to focus if i can make a cameraman laugh rather than get a better shot i probably would rather make the cameraman laugh so that's the yeah. yellow in me
0: a bit of immediate feedback from people is always good. Yeah. Um, what else, like, would you say, life changing books? Or anything on on that scale of black box thinking, and surrounded by idiots, for you?
1: They're the two I would say in the last three or four years that have really altered the way I work. I would say mm. they've really changed how I how I view the world. I'm just going through all my books I've I've read here um so yeah i mean i read i read a lot of science i wouldn't say they're life-changing but i read a lot of science um non-fiction extraterrestrial Mm. is a good one by avi Loeb. he's talking about why there probably are aliens um so if you if you want to make that transition from non-fiction to fiction Kazuo Shiguru's new one's really good clara and the sun
0: i've seen this around it's really good quite a bit recently so you're you're a predominantly fiction man
1: no, I would say I'm half oh, and half. I would half say. and half
0: now. Okay. Now, and...
1: Always, always. I mean, obviously, when I was on the literature course, I was a literature man. But I, you know, I I, I read fiction till I'm bored, and I read nonfiction till I I need a, a change.
0: What What do you get from it? Like, what? Why do you keep reading? You've You've got the degree. You've got. You're obviously an excellent storyteller. It's your job. What What keeps you coming back?
1: The same thing as coming back to. Uh, podcasts and Netflix I just I like to be entertained I like to unwind I like to be amused and stimulated I I like to improve myself all the time I still don't feel I know what my birth certificate says but I still have feel like there's a lot of work to do I still grow with each book I'm sure that sadly that will stop one day but my, my, my vocabulary expands, I learn more. So I've just got to keep going with it. I'm like a, a footballer who can't believe they're still playing in their forties and is still getting <laughs> speed. Why wouldn't you carry on going to the training? Yeah. Um, so uh, nonfiction grows me in that way. Fiction I don't is a slightly different thing. I think you can be in your 80s and get stuff out of fiction. Fiction is a sort of proxy, so you can emotionally exfoliate whatever you're feeling by living through the eyes of that person or you can jump into the skin of a black woman and really understand what's going on in the world, for example. That's why Bernard, I forget, I can't pronounce the first name, Evaristo, uh, um, woman, other, is on my list because I know if I jump into that book, it will give me a better perspective on some of the education and change that our society needs to do going forward around race. The same way when I read uh, Beatty's, what's he called, Paul Beatty's book, the one, um, not The Outsider, I would rec- I'd recommend it. Um, BT's one. Let me Google it so we can do proper recommendations yeah. to people. BT novel. What's it called?
0: I, look, I like yeah. what you, you're saying there. Whilst, whilst you're googling, sort of jumping into someone else. The else's sellout.
1: The sellout. It's sellout. a really, really provocative book about a black man who does everything wrong and sells out. Very, very funny. Very, very provocative. And of course, provocative. course what it does is it shows you what is wrong with society but very cleverly from a protagonist of colour. Yeah. Being the sellout himself, very, really uncomfortable read, I would have thought for a lot of people, but for me, fantastic. And I can't get that consciousness. I can't get that from a non-fiction. As good as Rennie yeah. Edo Lodge's book was, and I loved it. Why I no longer talk to white people about race. Very educational. Yeah. Everyone should read it, white, black, other, whatever colour you are. But for me, as brilliant as Rennie's book is, the sellout was like putting a VR headset on it's yeah. different. Fiction is a VR headset. You actually feel the emotions and you go with it and it's, yeah. and think of it with dead people. Like if you, I don't get on with Dickens. I keep trying, but if you go in to read bleak, bleak house, you just like walking through Victoria and London. You get it's like time travel,
0: Yeah,
1: you can do it with, um, films and Netflix and I do all the time, but with literature, it's so deep. You start thinking as that person. It's like you, speaking another language temporarily. Yeah. That's the difference.
0: Yeah. I, look, I, I read um, Harper Lee To Kill A Mockingbird exactly. earlier, earlier this year. I was like, this is insane. And that's actually what it was like. And it just gives so much of perspective on how, like, a white middle class male, like, I've got one more tick on the privilege than, than yeah. you there. Like, I'm never going to know what it's like. The yeah. only way you can do that is through reading these fiction that has come from someone's mind who has put themselves in that position. And I think a lot of novels are sort of autobiographical, or yeah, if it's someone absolutely. that's got their own sort of mental afflictions, it's stuff that they've been anxious about happening. And they're just like, well, luckily that hasn't happened, but I'm going to write about that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And uh, you can get, sure. You can get that from films. You could watch the circular Mockingbird film. I think Gregory Peck's in it. Is he? I'm mm. another Yeah. But it's just deeper. It's just, if yeah. you can get into books, the only way I can describe it is a deeper experience. And then, of course, once you get into sci-fi, you can go to places that don't exist. If you read Philip K. Dick and Blade Runner novels and all that, you can go anywhere. Or you can read something a bit funny, maybe, if you were mm-hmm. to read Douglas Adams or Kingsley Amos or something like that. You can yeah. read something spiteful and vile, American yeah. Psycho, and, and jump into the trousers of a serial killer cutting yeah. up women and wearing the bones as necklaces. You can live that life for a couple of weeks guilt free yeah. and, and feel what it feels like to kill.
0: Yeah, I and mean, just check if you like it or not, see you if you want do, to jump into it.
1: You can do it as a film where you sort of a voyeur, but to do it as a book is to share the consciousness. It's hard to explain if you don't have a love of fiction, but once you
0: get it, it's hard to switch it off. Yeah, definitely. And do and you make time every day? to read or is it? Yeah,
1: I try to go up a little to bed at at least. So if I've had a day where it's all screens and no reading, like today's probably going to be, I will try and squeeze 20 minutes in. Lately, I'm trying to, if I'm coming back from filming during the day, I do the daytime, I might do my computer for half an hour and when I see it's 20 minutes from home, I don't. I'm never in the mood to read in the back of the car in the day. I don't know why, but I still force myself to do a couple of chapters.
0: Yeah. I'm reading
1: the yeah. Elizabeth Day book at the moment, just because I went to my bookshop on the first day it opened, and I said, "Give me something that's like Patricia Highsmith, who I love. She wrote The Talented Mr. Ripley and yeah. things like that. Really good thrillers. She's the fucking master of the thriller, in my opinion. Patricia Highsmith. I'm like, give me someone like her that's
0: still alive. And they went, try Elizabeth Day. Never heard of her. Elizabeth Day is in. She's. Uh, she wrote How to Fail. Yes, a and, she does br- and she does a brilliant
1: podcast, and for some mm. reason, my own ignorance, I've just gone through life without knowing about her. Yeah. Um, she's also an acclaimed uh, novelist, so I have bought The Party, I'm about three quarters of the way through that, it's fantastic. It's about two friends who grow up, boyhood friends, Ones they're both in a really super posh school, one's a scholarship boy that comes from nothing, the other one's a posho, yeah. and it's a sort of... All culminating in a party for their fortieth birthday. I won't, I won't spoil it anything more than that. But it's put it this way: it's a thriller. Yeah, okay. so I just do something like that sometime. I've got, this was also given to me at the bookshop. Never heard, of, oh, never heard of Sarah Moss. Never heard of this book, but I'm told to give it a go, so I'm going to give it a go.
0: That's it. You, 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 you—quite sort of flippant about your choices. It's just like if someone says this is good, you're like, yeah, yeah. I'll I love a recommendation. It. Audio.
1: Yeah. The other thing is, I've always got an audio book on the go. I'm a, a heavy. Heavy two to four books a, a month, depending on the length of them, maybe six if they're shorter audiobook consumer. Okay, so anywhere between two and six. So, <clears throat> while I was setting up this podcast, like while I was putting my light on and plugging my yeah. mic in, I had uh Robert Louis Stevenson's Kidnapped, which is an old novel. Obviously, Robert Louis Stevenson, who were he of yeah. Jekyll and Hyde. Um, okay,
0: yeah, so there's so uh, novels or non fiction for that,
1: both. Yeah. Um, so I, I, the other, the other day I Googled 100 best novels in English, the observer list. I thought, have I read all of them on there? And uh, I thought, I'm going to make sure over the next year, I fill in all the ones I've not read that the observer, my Sunday newspaper thinks of hundred, but hundred best. The first one I got to yeah. is like 1880, whenever it was written kidnapped by Robert Louis Stevenson. I know the name because of Jekyll and Hyde, which I also have never read, but apparently kidnapped is this amazing sort of mystery thriller type thing yeah about about this nephew and his evil uncle so i've, I've got six hours left of
0: that which nice. i'm reading
1: nice. before that i read a, i read a science book called lifespan about how to not look your age about biohacking
0: oh you're doing very well at that Russell. i know i know well, <laughs> I do a lot,
1: i'm heavily into the science of biohacking that's a lot of the books i read yeah is how to um not Stop the chronic the cell aging we're talking about here not Botox and filler, which, of yeah. which I have none, by the way. Um, <laughs> so it's all about biohacking the cell, how to promote um, cell regeneration, how to s- slow aging down. So that's, I think that's why I look the way I do. I've been doing the science now for about 1015 years. And if you look at pictures of me in 2011 2012, I think I look not much in it just slightly older than I do now.
0: Yeah. And that's rare, because most people Look like bags of shit if you give them a the fifteen mate, year difference.
1: My mates, I'm forty six in August. All my mates are forty six. I do not look like my friends. They look yeah. like they look like my uncles. Fair Jesus. So that's the that's all from books. So this yeah. is a books podcast, right? So yeah. This all comes mate, you're
0: from, doing such a good job of, this, of saying like fucking read books, people.
1: This comes from a bulletproof by Dave Asprey. I read it would come from. Um, Wheat, the wheat belly, which first got me onto like carbs and sugar and fat and how to do those, but also the book Grain Brain by Dr. Perlmutter. This isn't just carb hating. I do yeah. eat carbs, but Dr. This guy, Dr. Perlmutter, he's a, he works with Alzheimer's. He's an American physician, really good at understanding how your body processes fats and why we age, why we get Alzheimer's. And then, of course, if you really want to read the guy, it will tell you how to not fucking die before you're a hundred without getting. I mean, we can all get lucky, but read mm-hmm. Lifespan by David, oh, David Sinclair, Sinclair. Yep. brilliant, brilliant audio book. If you can't be asked to sit down with a science book because some of the science is heavy and then you can just sort of skip when he starts talking about situins and, and readings from test tubes, you can just go oh, forward 30 seconds, forward 30 seconds.
0: Yeah, I think audiobooks are the best for heavy science books yeah. because you can pretend to understand all the long words as much as you want, but when you're yep. listening to it, you kind of just fill in the gaps. Like, Correct. That must be what that means.
1: But also I would say for heavy literature books, that's probably why I've gone for um, kidnapped on audiobook. Yeah. Because I, it's easy if you've got addicted to Patricia Highsmith and stuff like that. I like to read where you sort of get to a point where you're so excited where you're not actually reading the page anymore. You should go yeah, to the roof of the bank. I don't give a shit about the roof of the bank what's next. Yeah, yeah. You know, you're, you're like you're so fucking into it, you can do a book in an afternoon. Yeah. Whereas yeah. with a classic, it's hard to get to that level. Of
0: but course. an audio
1: book, because it's performed properly by an actor who understands where the stress is you're still mm. getting the full Ponzi literary i've read war and peace by tolstoy experience which i have 60 hours of audio you're still I, i've read that as much as you who sat there with a the penguin classic i've yeah. not read it less than you i can talk about the characters as passionately as you but i had it yeah. performed to me by an actor in my ear then what happens is after about 40 minutes or an hour if you're into the book you do 1.1 speed, 1.2, 1.3, till in the yeah. end it's reading closer to what you would be reading in the paper book.
0: Yeah, I've even, like, I've been pushing it quite quite a bit recently with the the speed in which I go on Audible. Yeah. And I, I was listening to a book the other day at 2.5 speed. But oh, I
1: couldn't, I've never gone there. That's fucking you, crazy.
0: You take it in, weirdly, because if you just slowly edge yourself up to it, yeah even 1.5 sounds like yeah, yeah. when you first begin with then you get to 2.5 like, oh, i cheap? would say
1: my my comfort zone with fiction is probably between 1.5 1.7 if i get really into a non-fiction book and it's being read slowly i can maybe get to a, a double speed yeah you really think i mean i would do easily six audibles but i do stop i'm quite strict with stopping a book when i find it boring yes i'm like life's too short so yeah. i started um what did i start um Cross-channel by Julian Barnes. Short stories. Keep wanting to like short stories. I was reading Sibyl by Benjamin Disraeli, which is on that 100 books you're supposed to read.
0: Boring. I just got... Boring. What was she I, was? D- I didn't like... Um... Oh, fucking hell. 1982. 1982 and 1984, George Orwell. George Orwell, 84. And I forced myself through it. Audio
1: book or handheld?
0: Um, handheld, but I've seen Stephen Fry has oh, audiobook. done the audio book and he's got a, of a voice for audio
1: books. It is a great book. I promise you, you need to go. Mm. Do you like sci fi though?
0: I think there's so many. There's Do you so like sci fi many... films? I don't Would really watch, watch films. So you don't
1: you watch. I Terminator. watch South Park.
0: Right. That. If, That's my guilty just, pleasure, it's just cartoons.
1: 1984 is great, but I find you fall into like, you just look at a blur oasis thing between Brave New World and 1984. You either like yeah. Aldous Huckley's Brave New World or you like George Orwell's 1984. They're the same thing. Future Dystopia. Try Aldous Huckley, Aldous Huxley, Brave yeah. New World. I've got, got that. He got a lot of shit right.
0: Yeah. And he got, he got a lot of shit for that book, didn't he? Yeah. People saying that Hitler was like modelling some of his... Yeah dirty little things that he was doing on on A Brave New World yeah amazing and we're pretty much run run out of time I don't know how yeah I bet the bear
1: crack on I can feel a boiled egg brewing I'm starving
0: (laughs) Um, Russell you've you've obviously got a podcast yourself Boys Don't Cry, Is yep. that, that's continuing. It seems that was born out of the pandemic last year as well.
1: Yeah, no, that's been going a while, but it sort of got picked up more in the pandemic. We relaunch, we're relaunching again. We're calling it Man Baggage because mm. I've done it for four years as Boys Don't Cry, and the old producers won't give me the back-end code, basically, so I've got to rename it and relaunch it. And that's where I get men together and force them to talk about the things, often comically that we wish blokes would talk about more. It's a lot in the area mm. about sharing and checking in and male mental health, but we use banter and humour to bring that out. The other yeah. big series I've got on is the Radio 4 series. You can get that as a podcast called Evil Genius, where we take cultural icons from history and the panel have to vote evil or genius based on the surprising facts I reveal about them. Lots okay. of writers in there. We've done Charles Dickens, Charles Darwin, not just people called Charles, but Charles Chaplin. <laughs> um we do sports subjects maradona artists picasso comedians we've done richard pryor and bill hicks so we take dead people who everyone worships who it's fashionable to like and then i let off these little cancel culture fact bombs and we have to cancel or keep type thing
0: okay evil genius you learn a lot and it's funny as well so listen to that nice and when when are you going to get touring again is there Uh, I'll you've be adding yeah.
1: Like, yeah from May the 17th are we cropping up at all the sort of distanced gigs but I'm not going to re-add tour dates until I know 100% we're up and running I've yeah. had to pull too many things I can't do
0: it anymore yeah yeah of course I bet it's been a hell of a year but yeah. it seems like you've you've been doing all right keeping keeping active and, and keeping reading I just said thank you so much for coming My on pleasure a pleasure to speak to you well thank you very much for listening to that episode what an absolute pleasure it was for me to speak to I'm gonna say again, actual Russell Kane, what a legend. Um, I really enjoyed recording that episode. Hopefully you enjoyed listening to it and have taken some inspiration. And obviously, if you want to be a comedian, you now know how. What more would you want from a podcast? There's gonna be plenty more to come from a need to read, so keep subscribing, give us a review on Apple Podcasts. In terms of sponsors, obviously you know better help if you need therapy. The link is in the description. It's ten percent off your first month. And you can really sort your life out within a matter of a few weeks in terms of getting the ball rolling and starting the healing work. So if that's something you want to do, obviously you know where to go. If it's not, that's absolutely okay. All I would ask beyond that is that you just give us a review on Apple Podcasts. That's that's all I want. I just want reviews. And share it with your friends. Tell your mum. Tell your aunt. Tell your sister. Tell your grandma. Tell everybody. You absolute legends. Thank you for coming back once again. Love you. Bye.